Fuck both you guys. Yeah, every time your body moves is natural. How the fuck do you feed yourself? Do you feed yourself without going through flexion of the elbow? Yeah, right, right. That It hits one of the descriptors. Nothing That's a else. pretty big one, putting fucking food or big bananas in Jay's mouth. Like, eat whatever. There's like. not well, – well, here's the deal. There's not a single movement you can do in the gym or on a machine that wouldn't be considered natural because your body moves through all these planes – and even fucking doing this is natural because your body. That is not that. Way. What are the, with the exception of carrying a mattress? Like, how is that natural? Like, I've never ever record, used that. My body, essentially, is doing a pec tech. Your body's doing that. That was your argument, right? Is that your body? No, 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 no. I, I'm saying that this movement. So, like, if we're talking about like, if we're talking about the descriptors, meaning it's it's natural. Like, I naturally go through this movement like on a very regular basis, like picking things up and then bringing them to my face. You pin. Like, you pin your elbow to your side and you freaking just move your hand i'm no, pretty no. sure there's an elbow coming up and i think there's you eat elbow. with your elbow out like this we got to talk oh, about your shovel oh that's right you you shovel food yeah uh, Todd goes with full fist Fran, grip on the spoon fern just does this <laughs> can we full can we take a pause for a second <laughs> I hit record because you guys would not listen to me. Wait, so. Nobody listens to you. I don't know why that's weird. <laughs> for the record, I hit record because I was trying to get you guys to both be quiet for a second because we were talking about a topic that we're going to discuss today. And all the listeners have heard so far is you two yelling and mimicking movements that they can't see. So, so today's topic is functional movements. And before... I hit record. Fern and Todd started arguing about the bicep curl. Fern We're is arguing. pro bicep curl is functional. Todd is saying it's not functional. No, no, no I'm, I'm saying – I'm, No, I'm, we're arguing – that's not what I'm arguing at all. Uh, what are you that's arguing? not it. So, so the discussion is around does it meet the criteria outlined through CrossFit's defini definition of functional movements? Okay, so – And there's descriptive characteristics no. and there's definitive so characteristics. Based on what, yeah, so based on what you just said, the answer is no. It does not fit the definitive characteristic. It does fit right. the descriptors in the sense that it is a natural in the sense that, like, it is not weird. I mean, and when I say natural, I mean, like, it's not weird. If I took you out of the gym and you were going through flexion of the elbow or to pick something up to put it in the back of your car, to put food in your mouth, like, to put a fucking hat on, like, that move – Movement of flexion of the elbow is not weird. This movement here of the pec deck, again, carrying a mattress is the only time in my fucking life ever that I've ever used that movement to do anything. I could yeah, think but, of a couple but, sexual but, endeavors where I've used that movement, but other than that. Is that how you hold a, a, a wiener close to your face? <laughs> The but but the way you just showed the bicep curl is an isolated thing. But the but the descriptions, the movements you just said, all include like the, they're multi joint things. So picking something. I'm bound to I got it. I got it right. So, I'm not saying it. I'm not well, saying it fits all the descriptors. I'm just saying it does fit the descriptor of like natural meaning. Like if you were to do that function or that action at the elbow, nobody would be like, "That's fucking weird, dude." But if I saw you on the outside, like standing out on the street and you were doing a pec deck motion, like that would be weird. I'm like, that guy has Tourette's or something like that. Like there's so, something going on with that cat. Can we take a step back for a second? We're talking about functional movements. We're in, at the level one, the very first lecture of the day, what is CrossFit? We talk about the definition, constantly varied functional movements at high intensity. A recent episode, Fern and I discussed intensity. Now we're taking a step back, talking about functional movements. Like Todd said, there's descriptors. And there's the defining characteristic. So let's get to the defining characteristic second after. And then we can have a little debate there about 
does a bicep curl fit that definition? Like, how do we define what a large load of long distance and quickly is? But let's, let's wait to get there. Todd, the descriptors. When you first heard the What is CrossFit lecture, what did you think about that concept? When I first heard the What is CrossFit lecture at my first level one, I didn't, I didn't grasp anything. I was just sitting there with my <laughs> mouth breathing, just excited I was there, getting ready to throw down my five-minute Fran. That's all I realized what was going did, on. Did I, you do I, Fran I at your level one? Oh, yeah. Um, remember that at some point they got rid of pull-ups and that really changed things at the level one. But, you know, the three of us all did Fran. It was, it was, I think it was a little bit of a different uh, time. You know, throwing down a time. classic girl workout versus the, the workout of the day at the level one is, is still great, but it's not Fran. How many, how many people do you guys see every weekend at the level one that think they're hot shit because like we're doing Fran, we're doing Fran later today. Somebody told me we're doing Fran. I mean, yeah, a couple. But you know what I think is interesting about that is not not too far in the past we did Fran at a workout. I want to say within two years because the gym we were at had uh, enough dollar mats to right. cover the full rig, right? So just like in the event somebody at like Reebok or something. No, it was at. Uh, reignited in uh wilmington yeah, yeah wilmington um and so they had enough dollar mat uh to, to to run the full length of the pull-up rig you know in the event somebody involuntarily departed the pull-up rig what what i thought was interesting is like the number of ripped hands there was kind of alarming I, it caught me off guard it was probably like more than half a dozen people ripped their hands why do you but think don't so you well, I, I don't know if it's because be they went full ham sandwich on the on the workout or like don't No, it's because I don't know. they went they went forty five minutes worth of pull up progression and That's practice probably, yeah. prior to the workout, which most of the time at the gym it's like, here's your warm up, do three pull ups, all right, you're ready for the workout. Whereas you spend forty five minutes doing kip swings and then bigger kip swings and then two one two drills is gonna get your hands pretty hot before you do well, it. Well, for context yes the the breakout is 45 minutes but i'm not on the pull-up rig for 45 minutes i might be we might be actively on the pull-up rig for four minutes total of that 45 minutes right but tell me when you demo pull-ups for somebody else giving that portion of the course tell me your hands don't get hot after the demo where you show each thing twice maybe three times it depends Listen, who's if, you, if you have soft hands todd that's on you bro What's yeah, the, what I guess you, maybe that's what it is. What is your least favorite thing? I don't bicep thing to, curl enough, I guess. <laughs> what is your least favorite <laughs> movement to you. demo at the level one, Todd? My least favorite? Yeah. Um, oh, probably the presses, man. I struggle with the presses. Oh, God. I, I feel like I'm at press. Presses. <laughs> presses press early just come in the at the, press. They come at the worst time of day, too. You're, after, you're, after we've worked out a lunch and – I think out of all the movement demos, it's the one you have to work the hardest on. Yeah, I would oh, agree. I, I agree with that, but I don't mind it because at least I'm, you know, I've already been sweating at a workout at lunchtime and I'm sweating again. I, a close second would be deadlifts on day two because the last thing I want to do is start my morning off full sweat, you know, demoing the deadlift first thing in the morning. I at least remember, like to ease myself into my sweat. I remember when we worked at like coconut grove back in the day oh, hottest gym on earth you just, just you show up on saturday start sweating 
yeah. then you finish sweating Sunday at like five o'clock. So I'm not gonna say no, I'm not gonna say I've taught a seminar on, on Sunday. I'm not gonna say I've taught a seminar Sunday morning after a long night, but I'm not saying that I haven't taught a seminar <laughs> on Sunday morning after a long night. Um, yeah, and you're sitting up on, on the box Earth. up there. So the, that okay. gym is so hot, dude. There's not a fan in that joint, and Miami is like 148 degrees. I think they don't. I think either they stopped doing seminars or they even closed potentially. I, I, I think that might be right. Okay, so so let's take a step back. Functional movements. We it, at the level one, we talk about how there's six descriptive characteristics and then a defining characteristic. Todd, if someone asked you, okay, what is what do you mean by descriptive characteristic? How would you define those six things? Just some characters, characteristics that just that have the potential to describe. You just use the, the words in the sentence. Well, that was right, in, in his defense. That's a shitty question, right? It's <laughs> a shitty question, but you can think about. How it would you like, define descriptive characters? Uh, characteristics uh, what adjectives would you use to describe these adjectives? Be like, oh, got it. But, okay. But, but but they're like you can. I, I've heard somebody use the analogy when they're talking about it of like there would be characteristics that I could use to describe you as a person it's really really short handsome kind of awkward <laughs> you know what i'm saying like people that know you awkward short not very fit might be able high to pitch guess. voice yeah, might be able to guess that's that's you but there's other people in the world that also potentially are short awkward not very fit high pitch voice so those are like that's dis describing I'd like to meet you as a people. person. It sounds amazing. But it's not definitive in the sense that it doesn't guarantee that I know or that people know that I'm talking about you. So when what's I, my defining I, characteristic? Your name Jason is Jason Ackerman. Ackerman. That's your defining characteristic. Okay. You know, I heard this. What's your middle you? name? Howard. Like Howard the Duck? You're about that's, the same size. Did it, that's literally what movie? I was thinking too. Howard that the Duck. I don't know why. Favorite movie. You don't meet a lot again. of Howards. What are you guys? What's your middle name for Oh, mine's great. Mine's Bernard. Oh, yeah, I knew that. Bernie. That's Weekend like, at Bernie's. It's Bernie. it's Weekend Bernie. at Bernie's, bro. Bernie that was, That's what everybody called my uh, grandfather was Bernie. And what about you, Todd? Jeffrey. Uh, that's too, yeah. With a J? Yeah, with a J. Hey, I was, um, listen, I was almost, and very, very, this almost, I was almost the third. Did, do either one of you know my dad's name? No, Mr. Fernandez. I know Bernard. Yes, I'm that is now. correct. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, my dad's name is Elmo. No way. That's swear to God. Not short for Elmore. Just not Elmo. short for what? <laughs> Did I make that up? God bless you. God bless you. <laughs> is it tight? What? Elmore. Is that a Sphincter word? says. Sphincter says what? <laughs> Elmo is it? Was Elmo, he, he Elmo, my puppet? dad's name is, my dad's name is Elmo Fernandez and I was, and he is the, and he is junior and I was almost the third. Do you, do you ever tickle your dad and be like, tickle me Elmo? Uh, no, but he did get a lot of, uh, Elmo dolls from his students when he was a teacher in high school back in the day. That's crazy. You were almost, oh, I, thank, I would like to say, God. I wish, I don't think we'd be talking because your life would have been so much different if you were in no, Elmo. No, probably, yeah, probably would have been homeless homeless yeah, on the street sure, sure. Yeah, <laughs> definitely yeah. would have had coronavirus for uh, sure <laughs> so chuck carswell i think two remember a couple of summits ago they reviewed the lectures yep like mike g did the nutrition lecture and todd, todd whitman did. did like fitness 
Mike G did new shirt. Yeah. And then who, uh, Jomo gave technique. And then Chuck did CrossFit. Yeah. And one thing he kept saying when it came to the descriptors and then everything was kind of like that us against them mentality, which I think has changed, but basically functional versus non-functional. So when I talk about descriptive characteristics, Todd, you mean your analogy was, was, it wasn't accurate in the sense that I don't have a high pitched voice, but it was accurate in where you were going with it. But it's, I always tell people, it's like, if you were to look at one movement versus another, functional versus non-functional, functional movements you can describe with these. They're natural, they're core to extremity, they're compounded or reducible. So you, you can see those in most functional movements. Is that basically what you're saying? And then the defining characteristic, i.e. the name, is that they can move large loads long distances quickly. Correct. So, so let, let's go over the six first. Fern, you wanna take the first one? Yeah, so the first is that they're natural, meaning nobody had to teach us how to, like, again, I always use this one in level one. If, if you have kids, at no point do you have to teach them how to squat. They just squat down and it's generally a really good squat, heels down, knees out, below parallel, neutral spine, all that stuff. Um, they're just naturally found in life, right? Like nobody had to teach you how to pick something up or put your hands over your head. Yeah, I think, you know, we, we often refer to it as like a dog wagging its tail or a bird flapping its wings. Yeah, yeah it's just, it's, it's a, it is an inherent movement pattern that human beings know how to do without ever, ever seeing it. So you, you have two very young kids. How old's Logan? She's six and a half almost, yep. And how old's Chappie? Six, 16 months almost. Does he squat yet? He does. Like he just, he's, he's, you know, he's a late bloomer. He's, you know, probably like me, not very smart. The, uh, he, uh, just like started walking around like pretty steadily and, uh, without falling down repeatedly, which largely because he has a massive head, but he's got a um, huge head. Yeah. He has such a big head. The, um, so he's just like an waited, orange on waited awkwardly. Yeah. He, um, so he just started walking around like pretty steadily without falling down well, all, all over the place. And I know whether you have kids or not, you walk around the airport, these kids squat perfectly. What, where do you think it goes wrong? When their when femurs somebody... grow. <laughs> <laughs> like they're, that, when your femur is this big, that, that makes a difference. That's going to make it a little bit easier for you to squat. It, you don't think like, it has anything to do with the shoes they wear, what they're taught, I mean, they start sitting. I think it has a lot to do with that. So yes, anthropometrics uh, are a thing. Yeah, having short femurs and stuff like that obviously makes my lever different. But the, I think a lot of it has to do with we, they spend a lot of time sitting. Most kids are not active in any shape, like growing up and playing sports. They sit down a lot. They play video games, which changes fundamentally how the human body works. You know, so I think you, I think you lose the ability to do those naturally over time. If I don't like, 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 and later in the descriptors, when we say they're essential, it is a use or lose thing, even though we are inherently born with it. If you don't use it, you will lose the capacity to do it. I, you know, you guys know me, I've dated a lot of yogis, yoginis in the past. Many, many of which that you've talked to in the very recent past. <laughs> <laughs> not, I've not actually. <laughs> you guys shamed me out of that as well as the listeners that mentioned it to me. Well, but, tell tell Roz we're uh, we're you know we're, we're she's welcome. Yeah. But her yeah. included, her included. I noticed a trend in that a lot of women that did a lot of yoga, they have immature squats. What? Why do you think that is? I don't know that I could diagnose that. I mean, I mean. 
without seeing yeah. seeing her it, seeing is it seeing is it lack of awareness or is it they don't have a t good midline stability to pull the hips forward and be upright or you know yeah it's know. just something i've noticed a lot and i i mean i see it a lot on on a seminar weekend as well typically you know you can tell when someone's flexible but for some women when they're so flexible they, they tend to be immature. I'm, I've just always been curious about why that's happening. Well, it could also be the case that if you're flexible, you think you can get away with a more narrow stance. True that, yeah. With yeah, a narrow true. stance, I mean, it's going to push your hips you know, farther back, and then that's going to cause your chest to come farther forward, so that could be a portion of it, too. Despite Todd being uh, very rude at the beginning of this episode to me, I do think he you, – you taught me a lot. Remember we had that discussion at Jack's that time about stance? Yeah. I think yep. we can have a full episode on that, but it was really, it was, it was, well, let's, let's save it for another episode, but, but stance in the squat, but Todd was, was really, I don't know. You, you helped, that was educational when we had those few minutes about it. So natural, which one do you want to go with next Todd? What are we going well, say, which, yeah, <laughs> let's, let's get through these so we can have a discussion about them rather than the characteristics themselves, but universal motor recruitment pattern, that means that the movements are universal, meaning they're found and seen everywhere. You see people squat at home, at work, um, on a sporting field. Um, there's also um, a sequencing of the motor units to where developing capacity in one also leads to capacity in another one. So you get better with the squat, you're going to be able to jump higher, run faster. You get stronger in the deadlift you're going to be stronger in the squat that kind of stuff yeah and i always like to look at the kip on that like if you improve your kip you're probably you're not only including improving your pull-up but your muscle up your bar muscle up etc but then also other positions like your push jerk your push press you know all all have that those positions inherently in there so we have universal motor recruitment pattern they're essential essential to quality of life meaning you know if once you no longer can do these movements your life is is going downhill rapidly and, and the, because what's that no just because life you have to do you have to squat you have to pick stuff up every day you have to press over your head you can't do every, that you're in trouble yeah which is you know where the argument is with doctors where they're like telling grandma to stop deadlifting her you know and it's like well how's she gonna pick up her groceries how's she gonna pick the up her laundry yeah, the, yeah so they're and because they're essential, that was always they, interesting because it violates what we know about just the human body and, and how bones work like the they everybody learns that in like if you take any basic a and p course like wolf's law states that bones will adapt to the forces placed on them right so people have brittle bones we should load them and their bones will adapt to that and they will become more dense but that was i've always thought that was weird well doctors are just so i think in, to some extent narrow-minded in the sense where it's like just because you're deadlifting doesn't mean you're pulling 405 off the ground. Like, yeah, load know, doesn't mean maximal load. Right. Like Todd, if he deadlifts 75, like that's going to help his bone density where you probably need 135 and I'll pull 405 for reps. Which so, speaking is that our next, is that our next yeah. challenge? Should, yes. we get the, should we get the video camera out? Which speaking, Ackerman, speaking of, pounds. Yeah, speaking of maximal, and then we'll come back to the next one. But so, but we left off on essential. The uh, I was listening to Sherwood do a live thing on um, Lynchpin yesterday. He just got on Instagram and he was rambling, and um, and he was talking about intensity. And one of the things he brought up 
which I think is worth letting the listeners into is understand the understanding of high intensity. Like, so going back to the previous episode about high intensity is he said, it's, it's not to be confused with maximal intensity. And he broke it down super simple. He was like, well, if there's a high, that means that we could theoretically make a medium and a low. So let's just make it very simple and say 33%, 33%, 33%. He says, so if I'm 67% or above, that would fall in the high intensity category. Now we know those numbers are not perfect, right? But it's just a good kind of thought exercise to understand like a high intensity does not mean maximal intensity, right? So for anybody's listening. Well, save that because I want to bring that up when we get to the bicep curls. Yeah, but yeah. When we talk about essential, you know, like we were saying, because these movements are essential to quality of life, they're also rehabilitative. So the same movements that, you know, we need to be able to do when you struggle to do them, in other words, if if you can't squat, you better be trying to squat. And, you know, Coach Glassman has said the, the needs of Olympic athletes and our grandparents differ by intensity, not kind. Basically meaning, hey, we all need to do these movements. How heavy, how fast, you know, how many we do of them is relative. But we all need to be snatching, clean, you know, despite our age, despite our gender. So we've gone through essential. What's next, Fern? See you guys. What, sorry, I was saying by somebody, what'd you say? <laughs> it's okay if you don't know all the descriptors for him, we'll cover you. What's the what next descriptor? <laughs> What's the next fact descriptor? That they're, the fact that they're safe, is that what they're you guys safe. want to go with next? <laughs> they're safe. Sorry, some people walked out and I said goodbye. Safe relative to one rep max, safe relative to their non-functional counterparts. You can all have a yeah. story of failing and safe relative. Lift. Yeah, and safe relative to not doing them at all, right? So if you go by the hierarchy, it's like the least safe thing you could do. Uh, would be to not do them at all. And the better option would be to do them poorly, which is where most of the start. And then the most safe option would be to do them with optimal technique. All right, Todd, take the last two. Take us home. Um, they are uh, compound yet irreducible, meaning they're multi-joint movements. Um, and then like a full body movement. And then also, yeah, quarter extremity is what we talked about. So this one, I think both of those are good against the uh, the bicep curl, right? Bicep curl, I agree. we've got one joint. And the uh, the quarter extremity, you can do a bicep curl without engaging your core, whereas 100%. squat, deadlift, press, any of the rest of that stuff, you um, can't. Well, so, I, could, hold uh, on, could you, could you do a bicep curl without bracing your, I mean like a, something with loaded, right? Like without bracing your core, could you do a bicep curl? Sure. Or would, you, right or would you just fold in half? Well, it's, it's gonna be relative it. to the load. You can that's, easily that's do one with a two and a half pound dumbbell. Sure. Right. right. But, 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 but you can't like with a squat, it's not going to, there's not a load, just your body weight. You have to brace your midsection to stand up. I don't agree with that. I think, I don't either. I think you can do any fun. I think you can do any of the nine foundational movements without core. Let's, let's without, test it real quick. No, let's they would be actively. shitty. No, they no. Would be really me, shitty. No, no. Let's do this for me. This is a cool experiment. Anybody can listen and can try it as well. So you're in a seated position, Ackerman. Fern, grab your chair and sit. I'm lying on my bed, to be fair. Relax your belly. Put your finger in your belly button. Wait. And then in my belly button or somewhere else? Or in your belly, just anywhere where your abs are at. <laughs> Anytime somebody to... says belly button, I have the temptation to say, I have a belly button. <laughs> try to stand up without your abs turning on. I have to bend over to do that. I'd have to roll out of the bed. What happens first? As soon as you try to stand up, 
your abs turn on to some degree. They have to brace to stand you, you up. You can do it. You just have to – it basically turns into a hip hinge instead. So I have to literally roll forward without using my abs. My abs won't tighten up, and then I'm just going to – But then as soon as, but as, soon as you deload your hips off of your chair, even with your chest forward, your abs turn on. My erectors have to take over to get me into that position. Yeah, but I just did it. Like your abs to some degree well, have to and turn erectors on. would technically be part of your core, right? Either way. Correct. Now grab something and – do the same thing with your finger in your belly and try to curl your arm. And you can do that with your abs not engaged what about at all. You can grab. But I would but I would agree. I could but I would agree with Jay was just like it's load dependent. Like, yes, I could do that with no weight if with, with a twelve ounce, you know, can of kombucha that Jay is probably drinking right now, then maybe <laughs> correct, but but not with any sort of I want to say significant load, I don't mean I mean like thirty pounds. Like I'm not gonna be able to do that without a braced core. Okay, but that's 30 pounds. I'm saying a functional movement, you can't, without external load, you're required to, to, to brace your core to do it. I guarantee you pressing over your head, your abs are turning on right there. I don't know. I don't know. Well, I okay, so that's Again, I think, I think so, load, will, load will dictate it. So let's go back. We've, we've gone through the descriptors, which like Todd said, kind of describes an object, but it's not necessarily <clears throat> exclusive to that. Many things can have it. When we talk about the defining characteristic, what makes, it, what makes a functional movement, large load, long distance, quickly. Fern and I spoke about intensity last week. Large loads, force. Long distances, obviously distance, quickly over time. So these movements inherently have the ability to generate power. Therefore, you know, our power is absolutely equal to intensity as we say at the level one. So the big difference between what we would say is a squat and a bicep curl is a narrow squat allows you to move a large load long distance and quickly. So going back to what Fern was saying, my question to you is compared to what? Like why can't a bicep curl, like what is a large load long distance and quickly? If I can do 95 pound bicep curl for 12 reps, is that enough? Not compared to other, you know, like what would like things that we would 12 say would pull ups. Fall. What, yeah, what about 12 pull ups or 12 pull But, but that's rows. my point. Like, is it always in comparison? Because at that point, wouldn't we basically always be deadlifting and snatching to maximize intensity? Well, you're, you're moving different functions, right? You're doing different things. So I chose a pull up and a ring row because that's going to, to some degree, mimic what you're doing with your elbow, right? You're flexing your elbow with the use of your bicep. So now all of a sudden those additional movements, the pull up or the ring row has turned it into a multi-joint movement, has provided, you know, even without anything besides your body load has turned it into a quarter extremity movement because you've got to brace your midsection to some degree. Um, so I, I think that's, that's where it comes into play. And I think you're right. And I know I've asked that question of like, well, what's the bare minimum for it to be a large load? What's the bare minimum for the distance to it to travel? Um, and it's, there's no hard and fast rule on any of that stuff, but here's what I always go back to. If you want to try to argue with me that you should be spending your time doing bicep curls or upright rows or leg extensions. I think those things are all fine accessories, but I always relate it back to someone like my mom. My mom's got 15 minutes to work out. Would I rather her doing bicep curls and seated leg extensions, or would I rather her doing squats and ring rows for 15 minutes? I don't care what the loading is. I don't care what the rep scheme is. 
over time, what's going to be better for her? You know, you can't really argue with me in the sense that then try to tell me that a bicep curl and a leg extension is going to provide more benefit over the long term. Now, other well, people will say, when you look at practicality, especially, right? Like, what do you want mom to be able to do, bicep curl or pull herself up off the ground? You want her to be able to, you know, extend her, you know, extension at the knee or stand back up off a chair. Like, so, yeah, that makes sense. There's also, I mean, again, load, obviously, factors here. But to some degree, I would argue that doing some of the more isolated movements for some people would lend itself to being more injurious. Like loading that loading an unstable knee in an, in, in an isolated environment, I, I don't know that that is, is beneficial or, or good. Right, well, that's another reason why you, we, you know, functional movements are safe relative to their non-functional counterparts, right? right. A heavier so, loaded squat that fails is you know, more safe than a leg so, extension that's overloaded, right? Yeah. So, and you said something earlier, I don't remember who it was. One of, one of you guys said it, but it was like relative to what, well, it's kind of the, the same question is like, we don't, we don't have to try to figure it out. Like there's already enough information out there to do it. So think of, um, whatever, pick a workout. It doesn't matter. And then let's just all go to be on the whiteboard and just pull up a workout and you're like, okay, well, what's fast or what's a good score and you're like well relative to what well relative to these 150,000 scores that have been logged relative to that right so because they've already been done so if you're talking about well is this one functional relative to that one it's like well we can just do the test and find out it's not like we don't have to debate it we can just do it and, and determine whether it is or it's not that's why we use the air squat portion versus the hamstring curl variation uh, example or comparison at in the level one, which is like whatever you weigh, 60 seconds of hamstring curls at that weight versus 60 seconds of air squats. You will always outperform doing the air squat based on all the things that are in the descriptors, but also based on just the math equation, right? Because of the time, you know, if I'm going to do with a fixed time component and a fixed force component, the reps is what's going to determine either the higher or lower power output. Right. And I know I'm not going to be able to rep, rep out 60 some odd hamstring curls at 185, where I can do that for a squat pretty easily, you know? So that's where I think it's just like, you don't have to debate it. It's just like, pick it, measure it and compare it to anything else that you want to do. And they'll just naturally start to fall into their, into their categories of like non-functional or functional based on their power output. There's going to be a, there's going to be a substantial deviation from one to the other. Yeah, I think that's, that's going to be clear there. And, and I think the other big piece is when there's arguments, I think the only, the only in, issue with it becomes when people are, are trying to argue that you should do one over the other or like trying to push some of these things. They complain that CrossFit doesn't consider X movement functional, right? Um, and the reason is, is because what we've just described, they don't fit into those characteristics and they definitely don't fit into the defining characteristic but it doesn't mean it's bad to do a bicep curl. It doesn't mean that there's no value with the bicep curl or a hamstring curl or leg extension or tricep extension, whatever that stuff is. If you want to do it and you've got time to do it, I think that's fantastic. Now I think of that stuff as like the seasoning on my dish and the meat and potatoes of what I need to consume on a daily basis are the, the big movements, right? I need to squat. I need to press. I need to deadlift. I need to pull. Um, 
you know, the ring rows, the pull-ups, that kind of stuff. That what, that's what needs to make up my program. And if I have the capacity as far as time or the desire to do additional stuff, and we want to do some isolated movements to try to bring quote-unquote balance to our body or whatever it is, the reason you do it, if you've got the time to do it, absolutely, go for it. That's fantastic. But if you're like most people that come into my gym, that they're lucky to steal an hour to work out, or even myself where it's like one thing a day, I'm not gonna waste my hour doing bicep curls and leg extensions and put deadlifts and squats and ring rows on the back burner to try to find balance because you're just not gonna get as much impact from those more isolated movements. They're fine to do in addition to the big, the big time movers, but if you try to replace one with the other, I think you're, you're missing the point and you're losing a huge opportunity. I would, I would even go further to say that they're, they're not even just fine to do. I think they're great to do as long as you understand what exactly what it is you're saying is like, what should, how much of my overall program should that should be comprised of these isolation movements? And it shouldn't be the majority, like you were saying, Todd, like the majority of my plate should consist of like the protein, right? Like if, if my nutrition is devoid of protein it doesn't matter how many vegetables i eat right i'm gonna have some severe deficiencies and we're also not saying the other thing we're not saying that you should only eat protein just like if we're again if we're going to talk about it in the concept of nutrition you should do both right like you should do them each and if we're going to use the fitness lecture to the extent that they add value and increase your overall fitness like does adding the bicep curl take somebody from do from not having a pull-up to having a pull-up because they now have a stronger bicep by isolating that. You're not, now you're probably not going to get pull-ups just by doing bicep curls. You're going to have to pair that with doing pull-ups as well and then try to add on top of that. But again, I agree with you hundred percent. Like you, I think you should put them in there. I think they're great for uh, also for imbalances, right? For people, if you watch somebody squat, who's got some sort of pelvic tilt or they, an injury of some sort, like it has tremendous value if you use it appropriately. But again, it shouldn't be the bulk of your program. Yeah. I, I think the, now we're, we're not arguing whether something is functional or non-functional, just it's a role in an well thought out regimen for someone trying to improve at fitness and CrossFit. So totally agree well, I think, on that. No, no, but I think there, there's still an argument to be had there because I think like we could use, um, what was the guy? He had like all sorts of like shade to be throwing at CrossFit. He was like the transverse movement guy. You know what I'm talking about? Like everything, he was like transverse movement. It should be everything in your program. I forget what he was. It was like functional patterns or something like that. Do you guys remember that guy? No, but anyway, I believe you. He, Anyway, he was, he was all about like just transverse movement in general. Like everything he did was transverse. And I'm like, listen, that's great. Like, I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. As a matter of fact, you can't play a sport ever without having that capacity, right? Like Todd played baseball, try throwing a baseball or swinging a bat without like having some sort of rotational strength. Like it's not going to pan out for you. Same thing in basketball. And people say CrossFit is devoid of that. And like, yes, it is. If I'm talking about just training, but we can't forget that if we go back to world-class fitness in a hundred words and we're looking at non-functional movements, it does say in that statement, regularly learn and play new sports. That is where your transverse kind of like movements come in. Like I should be getting them via playing sports and playing games. It shouldn't be something I go in and I train when I do that, right? Like you can add some stuff on there. Like, like Todd said, like the seasoning, but if I'm going to go in there and just do Russian twists for an hour. Well, great, but I'm not going to be nearly as strong as I would be if I was deadlifting 
500 pounds. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I I don't disagree with you. I think that comes up a lot, you know, in the programming lecture, which we'll talk about, where it's like, hey, why don't we move this way or that way? And Coach Glassman's response has always been, if you're stronger moving this direction, you're going to be stronger moving any direction. And in direction, yeah. you're. I'm assuming you're referring to the frontal plane. Yeah, and, and whether it's or, rotational or, or you know, or laterally, like you know. And it's also very sport specific. If Tiger Woods started doing CrossFit, he needs some rotation in his life, but he's probably going to get it from from uh, golf. But probably by improving it, he might. <laughs> but by improving <laughs> in the deadlift and improving in the squat, he's also going to improve his ability to generate power in that rotation. Absolutely. And he's going to be doing it in a safer fashion to get there. There's more risk in that in that twist than there is in moving uh, in that frontal plane. Are we making sense on that? No. Yeah. No, you are. Well, and there's there's and then there's a separate discussion like when we're talking about safety, right? So going back to one of the descriptors, if we're talking about safety, I mean, there's there's definitely the risk of injury goes up. If let's talk about rotational positions specifically, if I rotate my spine, right, which is a natural movement, like human, that's the way the human body moves. <clears throat> But that's a significant difference than rotating it under load, right? right. Ro rotating it under load changes things dramatically, right? Like, because that's not the way the spine isn't really built for that. So that, and this is when people are like, well, we should do all this stuff. And I'm like, yeah, to an extent, but like at some point I'm just really just ramping up the, the risk of injury here for very little gain when I could get this another way. So at some point, is it just, these are all we should do these movements because they're safe and because we can generate power and then forget everything else. No, I don't. It's not, it's not an either or, or it's not, it's not that you should avoid anything else. But like we said, this, the, the functional movements should make up the base of your program and all else being equal. If you only have time to do, you know, a certain amount of training that needs to make up, that, that needs to take the majority of that time. Once again, like I see plenty of people that like 20, 30 minutes a day is all they get, maybe three or four days a week. They don't need any Russian twists. They don't, yeah. you know what I mean? And if you, if you play a sport or you want to do some additional stuff, or you just love being in the gym and you're going to be in there for three hours a day, shoot, do your, 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 your uh, functional movements. And then, add as much accessory stuff as you can possibly do. Isn't that all you're doing right now anyways, Jay, is accessory movements? That's why you can't do a pull-up anymore? Uh, I squatted the other day. I can't walk today. Yeah, um, exactly. But, you mean all the banded calf raises didn't get you ready to squat? <laughs> but, and that's a valid point because something I took from CrossFit way back when was there's no need to really do, you know, abs. I mean, I've not done crunches or, you know, I'll throw GHD sit-ups or toes to bar into a workout when when programmed but people that still do core it's like like coach glassman said you know how do we stabilize the you know how do we develop our core we stabilize the midline we overhead squat we do all these other movements and by doing that and by eating right you're going to have a six-pack you don't need to do crunches so it's but it's not necessarily a bad thing if you have the time and the desire to do them yep all right i mean i think the, i think the discussion like eventually boils down to aesthetically i might add those things in to get to look a certain way 
right. uh, which is fine, you know, but you're probably gonna look just fine doing functional movements. So functional movements, you, <laughs> functional movements, large loads, long distances and quickly equals absolute power. It's exactly equal to your intensity. And then we gave those six descriptors before that. That really sums up functional movements. Anything else to add there? I think we lost oh. Todd. I feel like we lost oh, Todd out. a few minutes ago. Oh, he checked out. He's burned out from the weekend. My, I, dro I dropped my mic. <laughs> <laughs> so do you guys want to continue your argument over bicep curl? Who won that argument? I think, we're, I think we ended up on the same page. Yes, yeah, it's, right. it's a draw. All right. Well, there you go. If you have questions on functional movements, of course, reach out to us. Uh, we'll, we'll discuss variants next. Are we good with that? And we're also going to discuss stance with Todd. I want Todd to lead us through this in this discussion on stance. It's a contentious topic, man. I mean, not so much anymore, but it was for a while. We'll, we'll get all into that on a future episode, but thanks, Todd. Thanks, Fern. Thanks for listening. Thanks again for listening to Best Hour of Their Day. If you haven't already, do us a favor, head over to the Apple Podcast app and leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, feedback for either Fern or myself, hit us up, day at gmail.com or send us a DM over on Instagram at bestouroftheirday. Once again, we couldn't do this without the amazing community and you are a part of it. Thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting Best Hour of Their Day.